Seems like an appropriate time to uh, pray. Why don't we do that? Our Heavenly Father, uh, our gracious God, we do give you thanks for Jesus uh, because of who he is and what he has accomplished on the cross. Uh, we join heaven now in singing praises to him. Uh, as we continue our worship uh, through the thinking and exploring of your word, uh, we ask that you grant us your grace and mercy. Uh, today we want to lift our eyes to see the one who is on the throne, uh, the one whom the angels worship and give thanks and praise and glory and honor, uh, the one whom the 24 uh, elder king lay down their crown uh, in submission and total surrender. This is our God. He is our king. Uh, and we want this afternoon to elevate him to the point where he is above our fear. He reigns supreme, and that because of him, we are able to journey in dark times through fear, but with hope. And so help us now, God, to do that. In your son's most precious name we pray. Amen. Our friends, while you are there, uh, open up the Bible again to Revelation chapter 4. Uh, I will be just focusing mainly on one verse, but it's really helpful for you to glance through the whole segment. Uh, I know we have new friends uh, who joined us today, so a little bit of explanation might be helpful. Uh, normally in a sermon, we tend to want to explain the, the big chunks of it and try and explain movements. Uh, but because we are also in this church um, doing the book of Revelation in our small group, a lot of things that we're, we were doing are, are covered. All right? So, for example, in Revelation chapter 4, there's a lot of symbols, a lot of images. Uh, and so I, I wouldn't be doing, I wouldn't, wouldn't be do dwelling in them in details this sermon. Uh, if you want to know more, come and talk to me. Uh, if it, I'd love for you to get into a growth group. Uh, my, my goal this year is to get everybody into the Word uh, and so that you can grow and discover God's Word for yourself. But Revelation chapter 4 is about worship, right? Worship in heaven. That's the big theme as you glance through the movement from the throne to the elders, the angels, and finally to what the, the elder, elder kings are saying. It is about worship. Uh, and as we come to think uh, of what worship is, we, our focus is on Jesus. Right? Jesus is the one who is chosen by God. Uh, he's the one we worship in the end as the whole book uh, moves on. Uh, Jesus saves us from the fear of death. Jesus is the Savior chosen by God uh, to save us, not for the purpose of allowing us to live longer in this world. I know that would be nice. The purpose that Jesus wants to do is to prepare us for an eternal relationship with our Heavenly Father. And He's, again, the one that we've been focusing on. Uh, so the one that is worthy of receiving all the worship right, is at the center. At the beginning, He's been introduced as the one who sits on the throne. But come with me to Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. So, Because for me, uh, 4 verse 11 is the key verse for understanding the entire chapter understanding not just our relationship with this God, but if we get Revelation chapter 4, 11 right, it shapes our relationship with everyone else and everything else in this world. That's how important this verse is, right? For me, it's foundational. You understand 4, 11, it helps you understand creation, redemption, 
and you know the end of time consummation. So here it is, Revelation chapter 4. I've got that on the screen for you. It says, You are worthy, our Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And so these were the words uttered by the 24 elder. I call them elder kings, because this is what they want. They have a crown, right? A little bit of context going into chapter 4 itself, uh, coming out from chapter 3, those were the letters that Jesus had for the churches. And in the last two letters, for example, there was reference to an open door. You know, the door that Jesus opened, no one can shut. Uh, the uh, last letter to the Laodicea, Jesus says, you know, I come and knock at the door. And so, picking up this theme, John in chapter 4 sees this open door, right? Verse 1 connects that. It's as if Jesus is saying, like, I want you to show you. Uh, back in chapter 3, the open door is a metaphor for eternal life in God's presence. Here we see Jesus unpacking what this means. John is going to witness the heavenly drama, right? He's, God is going to, Jesus is going to show him what's about to happen. This drama going on that's going to span the next few chapters uh, with the lamb, with the opening of the seal and the trumpets, right? So we're, we're going to go into a very long chunk now. But chapter 4 is the beginning, and chapter 4, we are just setting up the scene for the drama to unfold. Another way of saying this is that chapter 4 is really not about the future yet, right? Chapter 4 is about the present, or the past, if you like to think of it. It's how things are meant to be, with God on his throne and creation worshipping him. Chapter 4 is about worship. Right, so here is a verse that say, God is worthy. You are worthy, our Lord God. All right. The word worship is closely connected with worship. All right. You worship someone who is worthy. Uh, God is the one who is worthy. Uh, and so to be considered worthy is a value judgment. Right. You, you consider someone worthy and so you worship him. And in our fallen world, this is the very thing right, that has been taken away from God and placed upon ourselves. Right, let me say that again. Worship is something, is the very thing that has been taken away from God and placed upon ourselves. Right? Is it not the case that every day right, we ask ourselves and people ask us, are you worth it? Right? Are you worthy to be loved? Are we worth it? Do we have what it takes to succeed so that we will be considered worthy by someone else or even by ourselves? And so the answer from the world reinforces our need, this need for self-affirmation and adoration. Yes, you are worth it because you are worth it. Right? I'm sure there's a cos cosmetic advertisement that you, you can think of. Uh, oh, that's why, you know, you're worth it. That's why you should really buy this car, this product, even though it's really, really costly. I know it's costly, but the more costly it is, the more your worth is being boasted by it, right? And that's why we should, we all invest so much in our education. We pour thousands of dollars into self-improvement. Fundamentally, this is driven. In one sense, we're trying to answer the question, are we worthy? Will I be accepted? 
So here's another thing about worship, right? Once we start thinking about this concept of worthiness, worship, then we have to talk about cost, right? Worship is costly. The greater the worth, the more it should cost. You can't talk about worth without thinking about how much you have to pay for it, right? The cost. So if God is worth our worship, then we should give him costly worship. Right? It shouldn't just be free. It shouldn't just be convenient. It should be costly. And so the Bible tells us that either we worship God because he is worth it, or we worship ourselves because we believe, uh, let me flip the page, that we are worth it. All right. So are we worthy is a question of worship fundamentally. Am I worthy to be worshipped, adored, praised, accepted, and loved? Right. That, that need to be accepted can drive us really, in the end, it drives us to become consumer of things and people. Does that make sense? The thing about consumerism is it's not just about owning material things. It's about what these things meant to us. They complete us. They say something about us when we are driven to own this thing or people. Right? If we are driven by this need to be loved and accepted, right, it, it can, we, can be, we become consumer of relationship and people. From my observation, this is one of the, the reasons why some marriages struggle. Right? We, want, we expect the other person to give us unconditional love and attention. Right? We are the object of their worship and devotion. We want something right, to fill the gap, something that only comes to us when we worship God. Right? So, believe it or not, verse 11 is the key to the happiness in your marriage and all your relationships. If you worship God, there's tremendous freedom. You are worthy, our Lord God, to receive glory, honor, and power Right, so this verse tells us that God is worthy of our worship, our receiving our glory, honor, and power. We, we, only, we need to worship God and only God. And only then, right, here's the paradox, only then can we derive our self-worth. If we want to feel and know that we are worthy, then we need to worship the one who is truly worthy. And so God received that, right? God received that adoration and praise as a true king received the adoration and praise from his subject. Verse 11 reminds us why God deserved that, because he is the creator God. Because you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And so this is who we are. We are created for worship. We're created by God. God's will is for us to worship him. That's the purpose why we are created. Uh, we're created by God to be in eternal relationship with him. And God owes, we owe God our worship. That's another way of saying this. I know this sounds like arrogance and self-seeking on God's part. Uh, but I want to and I want to suggest that this is where we all stumble. Right? This is our biggest challenge when it comes to having a relationship with God and following Jesus. At the heart of our sinful nature is our inability to worship the true God, because worship means surrender of our will before God. We were created by God by His will, 
when we worship, we, when we say we truly worship the God, this God, it's, it's saying that God's will should come before my will. And I want to suggest that that's where most people struggle with today, if they, are, if, if they continue to struggle with Christianity. Uh, maybe today you're not a follower of Jesus, not because you don't understand Jesus' claim on your life. It's precisely because you understood it too well. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it best. He says that when Jesus asks someone to follow him, he basically is asking the person to come and die. Surrender the will of you know, the self totally to follow Jesus. There can only be one worship. Either we worship Jesus, we surrender our all to him, or we worship someone else or something else because everyone worships. Right? This, this is the thing that comes to us from creation. Everyone worship again because we are created for this relationship with this God. Right? Uh, whenever I ask someone about what they believe in or do they go to church, you know, often I get a reply like this, oh, I'm not religious. Uh, I, I, I'm not religious. I don't pray. I don't go to church. Uh, but I would say the reality is, but we are all religious. We, we all worship, right? Uh, if it's not the true God we are worshiping, then we are worshiping a substitute. There's always something that we deem worthy that we put our devotion and trust on, right? That's the, that's the thing or the person that we're worshiping. It's what we consider to be worthy of our adoration and respect and love, right? That becomes the object of our worship. Oftentimes, if we are honest with ourselves, that object of worship is us, is ourselves, right? We value ourselves more than anyone else. We become the substitute, self, self-adoration in that sense. But there could be more. This substitute could also be another re- religion, right, that makes us feel good about ourselves. Again, it's still about ourselves, right, but that perhaps it's a religion that is based on good moral living, making good decisions about lives. Uh, and it makes us feel good because somehow we feel like we've done something, that we've earned our salvation. I come from a background in Buddhism, Right. Buddhism talks about the emptying of the self, and yet when you think through it, it's still the self. The self is the one that's making the effort, and you feel good having made the sacrifice so that now God will accept me. Christianity is different. Right. So whichever religion that we're trying to do, it's still a substitute. The quest for salvation, especially when it comes to Buddhism, is still self-centered. We are at the center of the universe. We value ourselves more than anyone else or anything else. And it is for that reason I want to suggest that is why we are so afraid of the coronavirus. Because we are so afraid of the unknown. We are so afraid of dying. That's what's driving it. Right? Really, if, when we try and understand this hysteria, I mean, there are better pictures to show, but we, we laugh at it, right? It, it is mania. It is hysteria. And yet when we sit down and analyzing, analyze what's going on, 
what the fear is really driven by uh, the underlying fear of death. Right? That's the ultimate uncertainty. Right? We, we can phrase it as, I just want to make sure we have enough toilet paper. I just want to make sure that you know, we, we do the right thing. And that deep down, right, it is really the fear of death. So I want to be diplomatic, friends. I, I know the situation is serious. I don't really want to make light of it. But I, I, I don't want to minimize it. But I want to put things in perspective. And I know this is going to be jarring for many of you today. Uh, it may sound like the sort of things that a loving pastor will not say. But I'm saying this precisely because I, I love you all. And as a pastor, I want to kind of put it in a perspective for you. This week, again, as mentioned by uh, Mike, you know, that's, <laughs> we, we just... We got emails about, oh, you know, we should be doing this, we should be doing that. Uh, and uh, you, you guys receive an email from me from the church office to say, hey, this is how we're going to manage the risk. And I thought that the language of the church office was very appropriate. We want to be wise. At the same time, we want to continue to do what's important for the church. Uh, and and I've, I've been monitoring the situation for quite some time now. I myself was in Singapore when the churches were confronted by SARS. Uh, and so really, when you think about it, we've, we've known for a long time that the viruses are around. You know, coronavirus is not the first, right? You could go back and think about swine flu, SARS, N1H, something I can't even remember. The, the, the. But I think what's happening this week the sudden reaction that I think we come from is the fact that now it's not just news we watch on the TV, you know, far away in Wuhan in China or stuck on a cruise ship in Japan or, or, or in, you know, in Iran or South Korea, right? Now, or not even in Western Australia. Now it's right on our doorstep. It's come to Epping, isn't it? It's come to... I think all of a sudden we're confronted by the fact that, yeah, we could all die. And not only that, but it comes after a long list of tragedies, all right, just on a scale that we've never encountered in this country, right? the bushfire, the floods, and now the coronavirus. I think we're confronted by our mortality and the fact that we have very little control over that. That frightens us, doesn't it? So friends, this is going to sound unkind, not the kind of things that a loving pastor should say, but it's what you need to hear. Uh, we're all going to die one day. In fact, there is no guarantee that after all the things that we put in place, that you're not going to die of something else. It's not death that we need to fear. It's the judgment after that. If we know we've already been forgiven, if we know who we worship when we die, where we go to, then death has lost its power. And yes, we're going to be wise and sensible, but the emotion and the reaction you know, will be very different. I think the emotion and the reaction that I received this week speaks more to me about panic and fear than about wisdom and wise decision. 
I think the church needs to be a place of love, right? Not fear already. I have members during the week saying, oh, I'm not coming to church. I, I guess I'll respect you know, the decision. But I think it's, it's interesting that if you are frightened about what's going to happen to you after you die, you're frightened about dying, then come here. This is the place with the good news. Don't stay home. We as a church will welcome you and show you the hope. We show you love. We show you the one whom we worship. Right? Really, it is an issue of worship, I would say, as a church. Right? Who do you worship? Uh, this week, we realized that, you know, we are, it, isn't it great that we are not the ones sitting on the throne? But there is one who sits on this throne who is awesome and powerful and mighty. If you are afraid of death, focus on the one who is the owner and giver of life. So here it is again. You are worthy. You're, you're, you're glorious, awesomely powerful and fearfully wonderful. You are worthy, our Lord God, to receive glory, honor, and power for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And so now the whole chapter is going to come into perspective, isn't it? So this is where it unlocks the whole chapter for us, right? Beginning with the throne, right? That's the center. It, it all points to the center that's being surrounded by all these imagery of life and creation, right? The four living creatures, the rainbow, the sea, right? Reminds us of creation. Surrounded by the 24 elder king, right? Worshipping this king at the center. Chapter 4 is setting up the scene for chapter 5, right? Sounds like a stupid thing to say, but it's because in chapter 5, the lamb is going to come in. And this lamb is going to be at the center, sharing the same worship, glory, honor, and power as the ancient of days. Right? Look out for that. Mike's going to be preaching next Sunday. And again, it's, it's going to be paradox, paradoxical. The lamb that was slain turns out to be the one that shares that power. Let me leave you with the same question I started. All right? Who is the one that you worship in life? Is it this creator king or is it yourself, your life? Right? The words of Jesus, right? here's the paradox again. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give exchange for their soul? Right. Don't be afraid of dying for Jesus. Again, I want to put it in context. I'm not saying do a risky thing. I'm just saying that when we have this perspective, we can have the confidence that as we live in this life, right, following Jesus, it will make sense. Even if we suffer, even if we die. I'll pray. This is an important topic. I want to take question in case you hear different things. I could be saying one thing and you could be hearing something else. And so I think this is important. Again, gracious God, we, 
We, we thank you for the one who is sitting on this throne, even right now, right? This is creation. This is what it's meant to be. Uh, and, and we live in a world that is in rebellion against this king. And rightfully now suffering the consequence of the brokenness in our world. And so as people who follow this king, let us be people with, who has hope and power because of Jesus. The power to, be, to trust and to say it's going to be okay. And we ask this in his son, in this precious, the mighty and powerful name of Jesus, the Son of God. Amen.